This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Since it's Pastor's Appreciation Day, <laughs> this is one of the only times I've preached that Pastor is sitting here. Okay? And so, we appreciate you. Okay? We love you. This is not just me saying it. I'm conveying what I've heard from many. Okay? I know we give trouble sometimes, but we love you. Okay? That's Amari. It's like Amari. Amari will go up to his mother quite often and says, Mommy, I love you. The minute after he just did something wrong. But, but it doesn't matter. The, I mean, it, 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 the, the love suits everything. Okay? <laughs> you know, I, um, I heard a story about a minister who pleasantly surprised his congregation by delivering a 10-minute sermon instead of the usual 30-minute message. In concluding, he explained, I regret to inform you, brethren, that my dog, who appears to be inordinately fond of paper, this morning ate the portion of the sermon that I had not delivered. <laughs> then he said, let us pray. After the service, uh, somebody from another church who was sitting there in the congregation approached him and said, Preacher, please let me know if that dog of yours has a pup. If it does, if it does, I want to buy one for my minister. Now, sadly, I do not have a dog at home, okay? So you'll have to bear with me for the entire 30 or 45 minutes, however long. So, and my, my, my wife has been asking for a dog and the kids, but I've, I've not gotten one. So, so I have all my pages. Let's put it like that. Today I want to talk to you on an unusual, on a topic. I've, 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 cons I've considered a topic over and over and over and over and trying to find something that brings out the point. And I think this is where I've landed. Am I my pastor's keeper? Am I my pastor's keeper? I want to talk to you today from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him so he could sit on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Am I my pastor's keeper? Let's pray. Lord, I don't have to bring anything to your word. Your word is already efficacious. 
Your word is already potent. I'm just a con conduit, Lord. Actually, I need to hear the word as badly as anybody else sitting in this room. So preach to me as you preach to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. See, Exodus is all about the God who makes himself known. The God who makes himself known. And today, I, I, you know, I didn't plan to stop. You know, and, and I've spoke to myself over and over and I said, you know what, Asif? Do not do any ab-libbing. Stay to the notes. I've never been able to do that. So, so needless to say, I know I'm going to have to drop some things from my message. But if the Holy Spirit is lead, leading, I think whatever I'm saying is what needs to be said. Exodus is all about the God who makes himself known. God has been consistently making himself known to his people because he doesn't want to be known as a God that is not intimately involved in the life of his people. So first, he exposed himself to Moses. Then to Pharaoh. He made himself known to the Egyptians. And now to the nation of Israel. In this story, the Israelites are still in the early stages of their 40-year journey, wilderness journey. I'm giving you a little history so you could understand the context. They crossed the Red Sea in chapter 14 and began receiving manna from heaven in chapter 16. They left the wilderness of Zind or the desert and, and they have arrived in Rephidim which, is, which was the desert area south side of the promised land. If you're looking at a map you would see, see where I'm talking about but you're not. They quarreled with Moses because they had no water. Moses took the matter to, to Yahweh who instructed him to take the rod which he used to strike the Nile and use it again to strike the rock which would produce water. Moses named that place Massa and Meribah which means a place of testing and a place of quarreling. It got its name from what the people were doing. Or a place of strive or, 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 or contest. In chapter 19, they will come to Mount Sinai where Moses will receive the law. But here in chapter 17, Israelite was being, the Israelites were being attacked by the Amalekites. Now Amalek was the grandson of Esau. You'll see that in Genesis chapter 36, verse 12. So the Amalekites were actually family members they were relatives of the israelites okay i want you to get that the people who were coming to fight them weren't strangers these were blood relatives let's put it like that but because of amalek's hatred for his forefathers he decided to act, attack the israelites uh, but but you know there, there there's sometimes people attack you but there's a difference when somebody they're conniving in the way they attack you. There are some, some people, they will come and tell you to your face. There are others, they will come in the dark and sneak upon you. That was Amalek. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 to 18, hear what it says. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. 
He met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. Those who are on the back, he attacked them. All the stragglers, the weaklings, when you were tired and weary, and he did not have a fear for God. See, the Amalekites attacked in the most treacherous and dishonorable manner. For they came at the rear of the camp. They wanted the baggage, of course, no doubt. But finding the woman, the children, the aged, the infirmed individuals, behind with the baggage, they killed them. They took advantage of them. What am I trying to say? You see, stragglers, weaklings, the most vulnerable among us, they're always being tempted by the enemy. The weakest link. That's why I have decided to stay in church, close to the family of God, under the cloud of God. Paul in Hebrews chapter 10 tells us something about that. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to, on, towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habits of doing. But encouraging. I know we have Zoom. I know we have everything else. But if you can be here, iron is going to sharpen iron. Like the Israelites, we do not get to heaven without attacks and opposition. Okay? The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You may think that it's your neighbor coming against you. You may think that it's your brother coming against you. But the scripture tells me different. That's secondary. It's a spiritual warfare taking place. We fight against Satan, sickness, wickedness, and the perversion of this world. Somebody asked me this week as if when a Christian gets sick or something goes wrong with a believer, is it because they did something wrong? And we're tempted to ask that question sometimes when we get into trouble or something goes wrong. Have you ever attacked somebody who didn't have something you want? Have you ever? Have you ever fought against somebody who didn't have something that you want? Why are you going to fight somebody who has nothing that you want? The devil can't get what you have, but if he can prevent you from getting to it, he would have been successful. Just because you enrolled in this army, you're going to face attacks upon attacks upon attacks. It has, your sickness, for the most part, for a believer. Now, there are others who are out of line. But for the most part, it's because this world is impacted by sin. That's it. That's it. Believers die. Unbelievers die. Now, they go to a different place. Which is what is more important. Okay? Stick to your script, Asif. You know, we have something else in common with the Israelites beyond being attacked by the enemy. He said, when they were slaves in Egypt, they did not have to fight. 
Now think about that. Who was fighting against Pharaoh? Who was? Hmm? Was it the people? Think about it. They didn't have to fight. They were slaves. They didn't have to fight. God was fighting on their behalf. As a matter of fact, they didn't know, like Ari and AJ, they don't know what they need. They, didn't, they don't even recognize the dangers that exist. That's why mommy and daddy comes on their behalf and fight on their behalf. Give them what they need. They don't know they need medication, but we give them the medication. It doesn't taste good, but it makes them feel better. And so that's how God was working with them. You know, say, when they were slaves in Egypt, they did not fight. God fight for them and freed them from their bondage. Now they are called to fight. Think about it. Not as slaves versus a ruler, but as free men versus a foe. This was a significant first experience of warfare for the Israelites. Think about it. They never had to fight. As a matter of fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 13 verse 17, let me, let me read it. It says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although it was, an, it, although it was nearer to the destination, straight shot, God just took them around. He just took them around because he knew they weren't equipped. They weren't ready to fight a battle. They weren't ready. He says, For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see the war and return to Egypt. Now, they were involved in war in this scenario we're talking about in chapter 17. Like the Israelites, we once were bound by sin. As a matter of fact, Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love towards us. Just remember, when you were living in sin, we had no idea that we needed salvation. We didn't know how dark of a place we were in. It says, Christ died for us. We didn't know. That's the same thing that happened here, symbolically, with the Israelites. They didn't know what they needed. Ari and AJ didn't know, they, didn't know that they needed medication. As a matter of fact, they don't like the taste of it. But that's what they needed. That's what God did. The battle never ceases. Satan for sure is going to lose. As a matter of fact, I read it in the back of the book. Revelation 20 verse 1 to 3 tells me that he will be bound. He will be bound. He can run and be gallivanting and excited and doing what he's doing right now. But I know the end. Why are you concerned about him? Don't you know his end? But I want you to observe with me that in this battle there were actually two there were actually two fights taking place. Joshua was in the plane engaged in physical battle with the fighting men. Okay? Observe that. Secondly, Moses was engaged in spiritual battle upon the hill for the fighting men. 
We need both. It's not one or the other. We need both. Joshua was told by Moses, choose men to go out and fight with Amalek. You see, Moses had great confidence in Joshua. Now, if you see what I see in the scriptures, okay, Joshua did not go to military school. When was the last time Pastor Chris said to you, hey, can you help me with this? And you say to him, hey, Pastor, I'm not equipped for it. Joshua did not say that. You know what Joshua did? Joshua went out and did exactly what Moses asked him to do. It could be because Joshua realized that his success had nothing to do with the work he's doing, but with his faithfulness. 20% of the people in the church does 80% of the work in the church. That should never happen. That should never happen. Can God trust you? Can Pastor Chris trust you to stay focused and man your post until the work is done? Hey, I'm reading the scriptures and sometimes I read the scriptures and we tend to think that it's something that happened then. Yes, it happened then. But if you read the scriptures, it said that it's applicable for now. It's, it's knowledge so that we could have knowledge. In, in, in the educational system, we say transfer of learning. Okay? And that's what's happening here. But as a side note, this is the first passage that mentions Joshua. We find him doing what he did until Moses passed. He served Moses and he served God for the entire time while Moses was there. But it's always good to remember that the name Jesus is simply the Greek way of pronouncing Joshua. Did you know that? It's the same. Yeshua. It's the same, it's the same thing. So when we look at Joshua, both the Septuagint and both the Greek text, he is called Jesus. Now, I don't think there are any mistakes in scriptures, okay? Just, just, for, just, just to let you know, I don't think there are any mistakes in scriptures, okay? The name signifies Savior, and he is allowed to have been the very expressive type of the Lord. He fought and won and conquered the enemies, brought them into the promised land, and then divide them by lots. The parallel between Jesus and Joshua cannot be overstated. So we understand, we, don't nev we, we, we may never know the magnitude of the work we're doing when we decide to act in obedience. You may think that it's just Joshua, but what if I dare to say that every believer has been asked to be enrolled in the army of God? There's nobody on the sidelines. Contrary to what we think, there's nobody on the sidelines. Caleb was 80 when he started realizing his goal. Moses was 83 right here in this passage. Okay? Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 says, Join me in my suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
See, I could, I could tell you nice words, but there's something else when I show it to you in scriptures. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 where it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God. If you're not a soldier, why do you need an armor? Think about it. We quote these scriptures and we love them so much. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. You don't need an armor if you're not a soldier. If you're not assigned in an army, if you're not enlisted. When was the last time you went to work in an armor? Well, those who are in the military, when you go to work, you go in an armor. Delbert, when was the last time you went in the truck? Put on armor. Bulletproof. When was the last time? It's not necessary. But all of us have been asked to be robed in the full armor of God because we are all in an army. Now, some may be a medic in the army. Everybody has a role in the army. So what are you doing? Are you sitting on the sidelines? You're sitting on the sidelines. So we saw Joshua's role. But I want to spend some time talking about Moses' role. Joshua was on the front line fighting with the, fi with, with the fi fighting men. But the scripture says that Moses climbed to the mountainside where he could see the conflict. Suspended, he was over there, he was looking and he saw them over there fighting. There he lifted up his rod. Hey William, can you help me? I want a Moses. Come, Moses. I know you're a strong man. I want you to stand right here. I want you to lift both hands up. As a matter of fact, I wonder if I need to give you a rod. No, but that's too heavy. It's too heavy. <laughs> just, just raise your hands like that. Can you do that? All right? Thank you. Just keep it up there. Okay? Military historian Richard Gabriel said this. Here we see the ancient dictum that commanders must be seen by their soldiers to be effective. I want you to see where I'm going. Okay? Just imagine this is Pastor Chris right here. Okay? Moses was up there. And I could imagine while Moses was up there, they would look at him. And when they look at him and glance and see that, hey, the chief was still there and the chief's arms were up. They were winning. He said that Egyptian pharaohs were always portrayed as leading their troops in battle. As was Alexander the Great. It says Caesar, it was said of Caesar that he wore a red cloak so his men could easily identify him during battle. You see where I'm going, guys? Do you see where I'm going? Like Moses, we have a leader who stands in plain sight as a source of encouragement for us when we go through battles. Think about it. You think those are my words? Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. <coughs> you remember when, 
we, we jokingly say this sometimes. You went, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come. And he stepped out. And Peter get excited. Ooh, ooh, I'm walking on water. Walking on water. And he started sinking. And the minute he lifted his eyes back up, Jesus said, got to keep your eyes on your leader. When a motorcycle rider is riding and he passes on the road and, and a lady that is nicely dressed that grabs his attention, the, the motorcycle goes in the direction of where the man is looking. Did you know that? When was the last time you were driving and something was going on very nice on the side of the road and you if you, if, my, if, you're, if you are my wife and you're sitting next to me, she would say, pay attention. Because the minute I turn my head, the car starts going in that direction. What am I saying? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 onwards, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. And the sin that is so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But that's not the exciting part. You want to know the exciting part? You want to know the exciting part? It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Everything that they said before cannot be accomplished without fixing your eyes on Jesus. The leader was up there. When they looked to their leader, they were winning. But what has distracted you? Or when was the last time you got distracted and you took your eyes off your leader? I could sit here all day. But I got to get to his hands raised up. They experienced victory when his hands were up, but defeat when his hands were Put it back up now. <laughs> and I started thinking in my preparation for the lesson. And then I went to Numbers chapter 19. It says, verse 4 onwards, said the Israelites traveled from the Mount of Hor along the route. And they did all of those things. And it goes on and it goes on. And they started doing crazy stuff. Okay? And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them that bit them. And many of the Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, Moses, help us. Moses went to God and God gave him an idea. The Lord says, said, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who sees it is bitten can live. And it, see, anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when everyone was bitten by the snake, look to it. You know what that was telling us? That's a typology. That's something that was pointing forward to something else. Have you read anything in the scriptures where your leader was suspended? Was erected? When was the last time you went to the foot of the cross? Huh? When was the last time you went to the foot of the cross? Jesus applied... This as a foreshadowing of his act of salvation. Though through being lifted up on the cross, stating, as, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look to Jesus and live. Huh? Look to Jesus and live. Hey, this may be nice and funny, but this is reality right here. Especially the difficulties the church is going through. That's what is needed. The real question is not Moses' placement on the hill. But the real question is, why is Moses' hand lifted? Why is there a rod in his hand? And it, oh no, that's not the way Moses left his hand. Oh no, yeah. Up to this point, Moses has always used the staff to point and something happened. The Red Sea was open. Hmm? Up to this point, all that has happened, okay? But I'm rushing along. The waters were parted. The waters from the rock, all those things happened, okay? But as Moses intervened for the people and Aaron and her raised his hands, notice that in this situation... It wasn't a one point and things changed. It says until, until sun set. Hey, sometimes it's a quick fix. But sometimes it takes longer. You know what Moses is doing here and I'm going to jump ahead. Theologians believe that Moses was engaged in intercessory prayer. Okay? Theologians believe that what was going on. Now, I have a whole lot of quotes here I could give to you. But I'm going to give you the one-liner. What Moses was doing, he was engaged in intercessory prayer. And now this is where Josh is going to come and help me. And this is where uh, Seth is coming and help me. Okay? He was engaged in intercessory prayer. And you notice that he started doing all kinds of things because his hands are getting tired. Now, Moses was in his 80s, okay? And so this is where her and, and Aaron came. And they made sure they gave him something to sit on. And they realized that that wasn't working. You know what? We need to hold him up. Because that's not working. All right, good. Good, good, good. In the Bible, we're commanded to bear each other's load. In the Bible, we're commanded to be our pastor's support or keeper. In this passage, Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him to sit on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands on one side and on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. See, the job of supporting the battle in prayer was difficult for Moses. Moses could have easily just take his hands down and sit down. God, I've done my best. And her and Aaron could have just watched him. You know what? Your pastor, you need to do it all by yourself. Your pastor, do it all by yourself. We don't say this, but isn't this what we do? Pastor need to catch the sheep. Pastor need to preach. Pastor need to go out and find the people. 
And if any of us sick, he needs to be at our house. Isn't that what we say? But that's not what Aaron and her said. They realized that if this is going to win, if we are going to win, I've got to be my pastor's helper. Hey, this is a one man's job, but it can't be done by one man. You realize that? Isn't that crazy? God gave him the job. Pastor Christian Maynard. God gave you a job and said, this is your job. But God realized that you can't succeed unless Aaron and her come alongside you. And not just that. And it's not even about pastor succeeding. God realized that church cannot succeed unless Aaron and her comes alongside this team. So what is pastor's appreciation? Pastor's appreciation day should not be one day of the year. We celebrate it at one day. But every day should be pastor's appreciation day for you. For me. When was the last time you looked at him and just gave him a smile for no given reason? And leave him thinking, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> just excited that you're our pastor. This is why Paul described the ministry of Epaphras as always laboring fervently for you in prayer in Colossians 4 verse 12. And why Paul wrote, we must continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. That is key. See, Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses and literally held his hands up in prayer. They helped him. They partnered with him in intercession. Their help was successful because the scripture tells us that Joshua won the battle. Though this was Moses' work, he couldn't do it by himself. Our pastor can always use Aaron and her. Someone to hold his hand up when they get tired. Does your hand get tired, Pastor, sometimes? And it's not like he hasn't told us, okay? It's not like he hasn't told us. It's one of the most transparent persons you will meet. He tells us. He said, Boy, man, I, I just couldn't sleep last night. Or maybe he'll say, you know, this was one of the toughest week of attacks for me. Or you may say, man, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling this morning. Do you struggle? Do you have challenges? Thank you, guys. Thank you. I know your hands are tired. Thank you. Huh? You're good? Okay, thank you. Our pastor needs someone to hold his hands up when they get tired. Someone to stand beside him when he is being fasting and praying for the members of our family. Someone to encourage, give some confidence, treat him with respect. These are the works that we, the members of Southern Hills Church of God, should be doing. Now, I could have given you my nice words. But, but, but you know what? I don't like to take that pressure on. So you know what? I made sure I found the scriptures and I brought the scriptures. It's not my words. 
Okay? Statistics of ministries and ministers said 75% of an emotion 75% of our ministers are are an emotional are in an emotional crisis due to stress. 80% feel that ministry has had a negative effect on their families. Hey, they may not tell us these things, okay? But this is true. Some of you who, have, who were raised in a pastoral family, you know that this is actually true. It is true. Over 1,500 ministers resign the pulpit and leave the ministry all completely every single, every single year. Actually, every single month, sorry. You may think this is, they said it's up to 2,100. Why? You want to know why? The number one reason is because church people are not willing to go the same direction and goals that the, the Lord has given to the pastor. Pastor believe God wants them to go one direction, but the people are not willing to follow. Who cares about the color of the chair or the color of the, the, color of the carpet? What does that do to, 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 to successful ministry? Who cares about the sound of the music? Huh? Come with your praise. Don't put that much pressure on the praise team. Who cares about those things? Does that have anything to do with salvation and lives being changed? We complain about every single thing. That's why, that's why Moses named the place that he named it because the people were, God just gave them a, a victory, then they're quarreling for water. Come on! He just took, he delivered you. I don't know what I would do if I saw that kind of miracle. Okay? The water just part wide open like that. And dry ground that I'm walking through. God wouldn't have to do anything else for me. That is big enough. You mean you just rescued me from my enemies? If I need to go hunt, I will hunt. If I need to go dig, I will find water. I'm not going to complain. But we've gotten so accustomed to complaining. I used this the last time or two times ago when I preached. I said, encouragement sweetens labor. If you live in a home and your spouse is always criticizing you for everything that is not in line or you didn't do, and doesn't say to you, honey, dinner is amazing. I love the way you cook my dinner. Now, it may not taste 100%, but encouragement is important. Praise is important. He, our pastor deserves that too. And guess what? He didn't tell me what to preach. Neither did he knew what I was preaching about. But you want to see success here? He needs some Aaron and some hers. We don't want 20% of the people doing all the work. We want 100% of the people getting involved in ministry. If you can only cook and support people who can't cook, do that. If you can only go visit in the, in the uh, vis I mean, COVID change, it changed things. But if you can only make a phone call, do it. Every single person has a role to play in the church. We can all do something. Between the praying of Moses and the fighting of Joshua, the Amalekites must fail, and they did. Now, not everybody was up there praying. Some people were out on the front lines, while some were on the mountaintop praying. I missed this in my notes, but 
I remember at the beginning of this year, Pastor said that this is going to be a year of a lot of prayer. I don't remember how you said it, but that's what you said. Have you, have you realized any changes in, in prayer in our church? Every Tuesday, they were having some online um, uh, every Friday night. I mean, you've seen it. It's not like he, he said something and he didn't do it. But you know what? Aaron and her came alongside in prayer, intercessory prayer. I, I don't know what our role will be. But guess what? Pastor does, is not supposed to do everything. Look with me as I finish off. Look with me. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to, 7 to 10, it says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the, the gift, the Spirit of the message of wisdom. Now you could read it, but I've summarized this. Spirit of wisdom, the word of knowledge, spirit of faith, gift of healing, works of miracles, the spirit of prophecy, the discernment of spirit, the gift of tongues, and the gift of the interpretation. Does our pastor have all of that? So where's the rest of it? If God said he gives that to every congregation, where's the rest of it? He shouldn't be the only one seeking. All of us need to seek because this needs to be a complete, a church that, a complete expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because verse 11 says, all these gifts are the work of the one same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is a wonderful congregation. I encourage you to encourage and support our pastor. God will bless you for it. I went out and I asked, I went out, I went out and I asked a few individuals, tell me what you think about our pastor. You could come and get the rest of the notes, okay? But, but I'll just touch on a few. A few people said, Pastor Chris and Megan, they love our kids. Yeah. You know, and as, as I read that, I said, have you told them that I like the way you love my kids. My wife tells me sometimes that sometimes I'm giving compliments, telling people about her, but I never told her what, I, what I'm telling other people about her. Somebody said, I appreciate Pastor and how he demonstrates his love for the Lord. Somebody said, I appreciate Pastor Chris because he prioritizes his family. One of the things I love about Pastor Chris is that he works to build connections with all ages of the church. In a minute, I'm going to ask us just to reach your hands up and let's pray for our pastor. But yesterday, I was on the phone. I was on the phone yesterday. I just took up the phone and I called a, an older member, okay? This is a senior member. I called him and I'm talking and totally unprompted. He said to me, he said, he said he didn't remember what to say. He didn't remember what to say about, he was trying to figure out virtual service. And he said he was watching online. And he said he saw a couple of weeks ago on Pastor's face. And he saw that there was a level of agony on Pastor's face. Almost like a level of agony because of what COVID is doing. And you know, services and things are changing up and all. And he saw, he said he saw agony on Pastor's face. 
And he said he knew about some of the things that have happened. How some people, you know, they spoke negative and some of those things at the beginning. And you know what he said right after? He said, said he would have gone, he would have been gone if he wasn't sent by the Lord. That's what the man said. I didn't ask him anything. He didn't even know I was preaching. Then he said, but he certainly loves the Lord. My pastor will not become a statistic. Okay? Whatever he came here to do, whatever they came here to do, they're going to do it because we're going to help them. Is that correct, church? Because we're going to help them. 